One week season fam, sharp football analysis fam, welcome to week three. I will be joined shortly by Rich. Hold on. What's that? Oh, eesh. Okay. Breaking news. His pronunciation of his name is Lord Rebar, not Lord Rybar. That's on me, guys. That will not happen going forward. I will be joined shortly by Rich Rebar, and we will search for ceiling. One week season. Good day to you, Mr. Rich Rebar, not Rybar. Apparently, Rich or Lord Rebar, not Rybar, was already taken in the Twitter algorithm. So that's on me, guys. Sorry about that, Rich. How are we doing today, man? We're doing good. Listen, that's my fault. Uh, to my Midwest uh, <laughs> hospitality is just too much to credit. Listen, I've heard worse, though. To be fair, I've heard worse. Uh, you know, I, I didn't get to choose the spelling of this last name uh, coming out of the <laughs> yeah. room. So it's not yes, my fault. Yes. <laughs> yeah, as somebody who's been referred to consistently as Hilo or Hello, uh, I totally get that, and uh, I, that is something from a prof- professional standpoint I should have confirmed prior to doing a show with you because the first time we met was on air. So (laughs) that was, uh, but that was my fault, man. Yeah. It's always tough that the first time, because we never, we never had, uh, you know, we put the show together and kind of the 11th hour of the summer and the, the first thing you do, you know, I don't want to just, you know, our first meeting is just correct you off the bar. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. Uh, but moving forward, dude, we've had (laughs) some, we've had some interesting hits, uh, through this show over the first two weeks. So I'm really excited to talk about week three. And this slate is unlike anything that we've seen. Yes, from a macro perspective, we still have the one game that is head and shoulders above the rest as far as expected game environment goes. Mm -hmm. But now we kind of have, we have a lot of the elite quarterbacks on the slate. We have an interesting mix of low expected game totals and high expected game totals. But a lot of those high expected game totals are blowouts. I mean, we have the Chiefs by like 12 and a half. We have Dallas by like 10 and a half. Um, And also, when you look at the macro perspective of this game, you look top down level, not of this game, of this slate, um, the afternoon portion of the slate is kind of gross, right? Because we have the Kansas City Chiefs. um, We have the Dallas Cowboys, but those guys are both in uh, blowout expected game environments. And then we have the Carolina Panthers with Andy Dalton. Those are our three afternoon games. So from just like a top-down, top-level looking down at the slate, how do you think that's going to influence the expected ownership numbers from those three games? Yeah, we have our first uh, 9-3 split, uh, you know, early slate to main slate. We have the two Monday night games again. Thanks, NFL. Uh, but you know, it's always crazy when you have the that the three game uh afternoon split and like it's not one of like the most appealing, you know, games. I'm trying to think what what is the game that's actually gonna be like the uh CBS, like Nance, uh the Nance game. I don't even know what it is, right? It's yeah, uh, it just Bears I Chiefs. Know. I don't even it's it's not great though. Um we kind of have the, and then Andy Dalton starting in the other game. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's definitely not that great. I, I don't think we'll be seeing a lot of people utilizing late, late swap this week when it could be advantageous for us. Um, we were kind of talking a little bit of a show about that. So uh, definitely be kind of a, on high alert this week uh, to, to swap some guys into these late games, especially even if you do believe it, even these games do end up as blowouts. Those teams that have the implied point totals that they have, people aren't going to be swapping to those guys. Yeah. There's also this weird component of this slate with potential weather, uh, which we haven't necessarily had this year yet. Um, One of the more interesting aspects is the weather in Miami. This is Miami, first home game in Miami. It's hot, it's humid. But we also have this tropical storm looming that is supposed to terrorize the East Coast. Breaking that down, like weather is very, very hard to predict and to talk about on Thursday and Friday when right. we're looking forward. Um, yes, there's modeling and we, we have a little bit more, uh, more certainty, I guess we'll say as far as these big storm units, because they're highly important to the East coast. Um, but that said, and this is something that I try and do a good job to break down because I have access to aviation weather which is more accurate because it has to be because people's lives kind of depend on it. 
So I try and be a little bit more proactive in looking at weather on a slate. And even from my perspective, I feel like this is kind of being overblown. Um, we might expect some rain, but if you look at the forecast in some of these East Coast games this weekend, it's really only calling for like two to three inches of rain and maybe 15 to 25 mile per hour winds. Are you placing any kind of emphasis on the weather on the East Coast this weekend? Uh, you said not not so much this early. Uh, Sunday could be, you know, we get there from some of the people uh, I trust. And obviously, you know, with your background, um, you know, a guy like Kevin Roth, you know, I'll look at some of the stuff like that and see if it's a situation where we need to adjust. But I'm definitely treating it as non-existent right now until Sunday morning. Okay. Yeah, I'm kind of the same. Um, the aviation weather is really about 36 hours out is kind of when we start getting um, a little bit more accurate um, forecast and projections. So I'll, I'll promise you guys this. I'll post an, a weather update on Twitter. Follow me at HiloFF. I'll post a weather update on Twitter on Saturday night, and I'll update it in sun or on Sunday morning. And I will also put it out in the OWS email that goes out to all OWS free members. So just head on over to oneweekseason.com, get signed up for a free account. You'll get access to that as well. So that is a promise to you guys that I will make now. With that, dude, let's jump into the slate, man. Let's look at some of the game totals that we're working with this week. And we alluded to it in the open. It's a very interesting slate. I mean, we have everything from a game total of 36 and a half, which is the lowest we've seen this season. I think the lowest we saw last year, the entire season was 35 and a half. Um, so yeah, the Patriots and the Jets all the way up to now the highest game total of the season to this point at 54.0 with these Chargers and the Vikings. We know you've seen it everywhere around the industry Two pace up teams that like to push the tempo and uh, the scoring individually are now meeting in week three. So, yes, this is a, a, a top expected game environment, but this game total is by far and away the highest that we've seen uh, this entire season. We have a game total of 48.0, the Broncos and the Dolphins. Atlanta Falcons and Detroit Lions here at 46.0, which is uh, a game environment that we're going to talk about today as well. I know it. And then we get into this afternoon slate. Like we talked about, we have a nice solid game total 48 points, but the chiefs favored by 12 and a half. And now the Dallas Cowboys have been bet up to favorites of 12 and a half as well in Arizona. So what do you make of this overall state of this slate? We'll say. Yeah. And we're going to have, you know, the one game draw so much ownership and uh, you know, for good reason and individual pieces. I think that that game, I guess we could kind of start with just cause it's going to be popular. I got some fun games that I do want to hit too as well, but yeah. attacking that chargers Vikings game and getting unique is probably going to be one of the larger kind of inflection points of the slate. Um, we were joking a little bit coming on it, you know, it's a hard game to onslaught. It's a hard game to yeah. stack if you want to run doubles with the quarterback and his top two pass catchers, you know, on the year, you know, if you're going to play, if you want to play Justin Herbert plus Keenan Allen plus big Mike, I mean, you're looking at 40 to 45% of your salary on each site. And if you want to play Kirk cousins plus Justin Jefferson plus TJ Hawkinson, you're in the same boat, just three players eating li literally almost 50% of your salary. So yeah. you're going to have to get more, cute with the ancillary pieces in that game i mean obviously kirk cousins has more guys you can kind of say like i can play jordan addison uh i can play maybe you know uh kj osborne as like a as a flyer because of you know the 11 personnel they run and just where the chargers have been susceptible allowing a league high nine yards for pass play so far yeah. but re really kind of the most obvious guy that i think from a salary stance that stands out is josh kelly like really uh, we're anticipating Austin Eckler is not going to play again. It, it, it sounds like Austin Eckler himself has basically put out that he's not going to play, even though he's officially been ruled out. So, you know, if, if something happens in the, you know, final two days here that, you know, definitely so this message will self-destruct, but yeah. uh, it is the matchup. When you look at what Josh Kelly went into last week, we did the same thing with Jamal Williams in week one. We're going to do the same thing with Jerome Ford this week uh, again, too. Like these guys, these cheap, guys that are we think is going to draw these touches against this titans defense like this team just does not give up rushing yardage and you have josh kelly doesn't command targets the way austin eckler did and he was drawing dead largely if he didn't score a touchdown in that game 
But this matchup in particular is interesting because if you look at how Brian Flores has approached the defense so far, he's doing he's in this Brian Flores bag to start the year. I mean, th- the Vikings yeah. have run three plays of man coverage this entire through two games, the fewest in the NFL. We saw last Thursday he wants to drop back, not get beat over the top. I think it's going to be a similar approach, right? He's going to look at this from a top-down stance and say, I'm not going to let Justin Herbert you know, just, just have his way down the field with me. Uh, and he's going to play light boxes, and it's going to invite the Chargers to run the football. And we saw in week one when you – Kellen Moore was willing to acquiesce to that against the Dolphins. When Vic Fangio wanted to play his typical, you know, lot quarters and cover six, Kellen Moore said, all right, I'll line up and we're going to run the ball 30-plus times. And he did that with Austin Eckler and Josh Kelly. I think we could be looking at a similar um, d- defensive approach for Brian Flores here. Um, and Joshua Kelly has a way better matchup and kind of like the flop lag spot. The biggest difference between how the Vikings defense operated last year versus this year is this right here. Look at them leading the league in blitz rate, 49.3%. And he's besting guys like Wink Martindale, who is this madman, crazy blitz guy. Um, That's an interesting aspect to break down in this matchup because, yes, he is playing a ton of zone behind. He's typically going to be playing that cover two shell but he's coming after opposing quarterbacks. And if you look at the Chargers offensive line, they have a fairly good unit. And if he is going to be blitzing at that rate, Justin Herbert is a quarterback who can take advantage of the gaps in zone coverage that are kind of introduced behind a heavy blitz rate. Now, I don't know if he's going to blitz at the same rate, but he has blitzed ad nauseum. And if we look back kind of where he hails from, it's that same type of heavy blitz defensive scheme. So this is an interesting aspect of this particular game. And you also mentioned something about Joshua Kelly that I think is highly pertinent to this spot as well. And that is he does not command the same level of targets as a guy like Austin Eckler. And if that's the case, and if you look at the snap rates and you look at where the targets are flowing, that kind of condenses things around Keenan Allen and Mike Williams even more so than we should expect with Austin Eckler on the field. So that's another interesting aspect of this matchup. And now you pair that with kind of what we expect from Kellen Moore's offense. And we've had, we've seen both extremes from Kellen Moore up to this point. We saw against Vic Fangio, he kind of took what the defense gave him and we had saw those extreme rush rates. I mean, Austin Eckler and Joshua Kelly combined for 32 rush attempts in that game and nine targets. So that was the one extreme. The other extreme that we saw was in week two against Tennessee, where we know that Tennessee Titans have been like the top defense to attack through the air. um, And that's from a schematic standpoint over the previous three seasons. Last season, they faced 30% more pass attempts per game than the second place team. This is a team that just fundamentally via scheme forces teams to beat them through the air. So now in this matchup against Minnesota, where Brian Flores, we know is going to be blitzing. We know he's going to be playing a lot of zone behind. It introduces an interesting aspect of trying to project like how we expect um, Kellen Moore to attack this spot. And with the personnel that they have, I would expect a run-balanced approach, first of all, through Joshua Kelly. And I would expect Mike Williams and Keenan Allen to be the two primary pass catchers in this spot. And when you think about that, we have this in our mind that Mike Williams is the deep guy and that Keenan Allen is the slot guy. That is not necessarily how this offense is running this year. Keenan Allen has um, a fairly healthy dot in the 11s, and Mike Williams is down in the 8s. And Keenan Allen is playing about 35% of his snaps on the perimeter. And Mike Williams is playing about 35% of his snaps in the slot. So what do you make of that situation when you're talking about blitzes, zone behind Keenan Allen versus Mike Williams? Yeah, we've seen kind of, you know, Keenan Allen get a little bit of that CD Lamb route tree that, you know, Kellen Moore gave him. Uh, so far, 16% of his routes, not targets, just routes run, are 20 or more yards further downfield. Uh, last year, it was just 7.5%. If that holds up, you know, for the course of the season, it'll be by far his highest rate of the season. So he's getting different usage, like you said. And as a byproduct, we have two things pulling with Mike Williams. One is he's getting different usage. You can say he's playing in the slot more than he has at any point in his career. 
which gives Mike Williams a more chance for, you know, efficiency smoothing opportunities, which he hasn't had over the course of his career. It's why he's been a volatile producer. That's why he's had to win in on, you know, uh, one-on-one situations. He's had to be, he's had to make the most of a low target count, but now he's going to get more opportunities on the intermediate levels and the shallow levels, you know, not only through the blitz, but because of where he's running his routes on the field. Uh, and then you have the other factor that you, we just talked about is that, removing Austin Eckler from the offense just condenses the target tree because Josh Palmer's not earning targets either. Yeah. So it really just, that's yeah. why you look at Mike Williams last week. He has the 13 targets, right? It's just because the other guy, there's no other target earners on the field except for him and Keenan Allen. So, uh, you know, if we're not going to have Austin Eckler in this game, we're looking at a similar situation where both of these guys probably combine for close to 50% of the team targets again. Uh, and then you look at it from a pricing stance, Keenan Allen is only a stone's throw away from the Justin Jefferson and Tyree kills uh, in terms of pricing. He's a little bit more dropped down on DraftKings than he is FanDuel, but like FanDuel, he's like almost, he's 8.8 K on FanDuel. Yeah. Uh, like, which is crazy to think about like the Keenan Allen archetype, right? But like I said, it's not really what he's doing this year, but Mike Williams on both sites has a larger gap. So structurally he, I think is going to be more popular actually uh, because he just, I think he's going to fit a lot more builds where he's priced than where Keenan Allen is. Cause people will just say, I can get up to Tyree kill. I can get up to Justin Jefferson if I'm already paying this salary. Yeah. I love that you brought up that point because that is highly in the game theoretic realm of how do these pieces fit together on mm -hmm. the slate? And we have Tyree kill who potentially could be playing without Jalen Waddle. So he's going to be a primary target on the slate. We obviously have Justin Jefferson, who is the overall wide receiver one who is playing in the top game environment of the season. Um, and that's likely going to influence the expected ownership of a guy like Keenan Allen, who is, like you said, priced in this kind of nebulous range now mm -hmm. where he's below the elites and he's above kind of the quote unquote value guys. Um, but we talked about how or you, you talked about how it's hard to kind of build around an onslaught in this game environment. Um, and this is just an example of a fun way where it can be done and you're not sacrificing too much. Uh, obviously, you're going to have to find some value at the running back position to make this happen. Yeah. Um, this was the best but, way I got there, too, was these same five. Yeah. And I think this is probably going to be the most common way of an onslaught. But we've talked about over the first two weeks of the season how onslaughts are actually increasing in expected value because of the fact that scoring across the league is down this, or, or I guess over the past three seasons. Um, but it's been down again, bringing up the numbers, 2.88 touchdowns per team per game in the COVID year in 2020 down to 2.43 touchdowns per team per game in 2022 season. And to start off the 2023 season, we're seeing a similar trend. So from a theoretical standpoint, that actually increases the expected value that you should expect from an overslot build if you mm -hmm. get that game environment right. And whereas there's going to be ownership from this game, that same kind of mindset of the onslaughts are probably going to go relatively under-owned. So finding a unique way to do that, um, I think generates some solid expected value. And one of the pieces in this uh, build that we have not talked about is Jordan Addison. Jordan Addison, if you look at his 62-yard touchdown grab last week, this was not just a corner route. This was a smart wide receiver running an in and noticing that he was in one-on-one -on -one coverage and getting upfield. And that, to me kind of reinforces the fact that I thought that Jordan Addison was the most pro-ready rookie coming out of this class. And to see that in a second NFL game where he is diagnosing a defensive coverage, seeing that he's on one-on-one -on -one coverage and getting up field was insane to me. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> I want that. So whereas the talent is there, and it's so easy to draw the parallels to when Justin Jefferson came into the league, where a guy by the name of Ola B.C. Johnson was playing over him in camp. And then over the first two games of the season, it's it's insane. The parallels when you look at uh, now um, the guy playing in front of him where it's like you go to playerprofiler.com and the comp 
that we get when we're talking about um oh my god now i'm drawing a blank on his name yeah, kj osborne kj osborne the comp for kj osborne is ola bc johnson <laughs> i was dying dude <laughs> i was like oh my god this is are we in the twilight zone man this is insane um but the talent is there the role in the offense is not yet for a guy like jordan addison but that is something that can change in the blink of an eye but it's eye. trending up it's trending up, yes. But we want this guy playing in two wide sets. And we know that... Um, but once it gets there, it doesn't go back. So you do kind of want to be early. Exactly. While it's, so, while it's on the upswing. That's kind of what I'm thinking is like, I'm just going to keep playing Jordan Addison and because that's just going to happen without notice at some time this season. Um, I, I think. I mean, KJ Osborne is a guy that has the veteran presence. He knows... Um, he knows kind of how to diagnose a defense similar to what I saw out of Jordan Addison in week two. So the fact that I saw that opens the door to me from a how does football work perspective to Jordan Addison's role growing at some point. What's your take on that whole discussion and kind of Jordan Addison here? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, we saw him in week two already make growth. Uh, he had a 12% increase in route participation rate. We also saw in that game KJ Osborne drop, drop a couple passes, uh, which probably didn't help his case, you know, moving forward either as well. And, you know, you still have the draft capital, right? Like the first round pedigree. So, like, we know, like, uh, like this was going to always kind of be like a, a an upswing. And I think that we're going to get there. And when you talk about this potential game environment, it's another situation where the Vikings probably have to throw a lot, uh, which gives us a lot of opportunity here against the team that has once again started this season giving up big shot plays. And it's one thing, right? Week one, hey, Tyreek Hill got you. Jalen Waddle got you. It happens. Those guys get lots of people. But when Chris Moore and Traylon Burks are getting loose downfield yeah. and Ryan Tannehill is five of six passing on throws 10 or further yards downfield, now we've got a consistent problem that tracks with Brandon Staley's tenure since joining the Chargers. I mean, since he's joined the Chargers, they're 27th in the NFL in catches allowed for 20 or more yards. They're last in the NFL in catches allowed of 30 or more yards. And they're 29th in the NFL in catches allowed for 40 or more yards. We're talking splash plays and we're talking onslaughts, uh, especially in smaller field stuff. Like that's all we're looking for, right? And like he's been living off of those one plays, but we know that uh, that already exists in his repertoire. And the opportunity is growing. So, like I said, there's an opportunity or so where we're still early. We have kind of everything lined up we want for it and for maybe that breakout kind of spot for more targets and more opportunity plus the matchup, like, all lined up. Uh, he's definitely the one guy that I think we are talking about from, like, an onslaught stance makes sense um, outside of, you know, adding the, the obvious Justin Jefferson. I know we've spent 23 minutes on this one game environment, but I think it's uh, I think it's warranted this week based on how this slate is shaping up. Yeah. The last guy kind of that I, I honestly don't know where the field's going to end here, but we have Alexander Madison who has had a week, right? I mean, he has been one of the bottom five backs as far as EPA per rush attempt. Um, and that's a measure of efficiency. Um, kind of yards where the running back is creating on his own. He went, I mean, the fan base and the amount of backlash that he received on social media got so bad no. to the point this week where he like went to his coaching staff and he's like, guys help his, his brother-in-law was getting involved. His wife was getting involved on Twitter. So first of all, from a fan standpoint, don't reach out to players, man. That, yeah. It's, it's tragic. Um, don't do that. They're playing a game. Second of all, do you think that the fact that he's kind of had to deal with all this, the fact that Cam Akers was brought in this week, do you think that the coaching staff might kind of try to get him going at all in this spot? Well, I think that, that this sets up for him to run the ball, for them to try to run the ball more too. Because I think Brandon Staley at least is going to attempt to do something similar and play a lot more, you know, coverage uh and put in then this game and try to invite minnesota yeah. to try to run the ball i think that is a definite angle for this game i mean minnesota 91 percent of their yardage right now has come through passing like that's not a, a sustainable rate uh in the nfl uh they have faced two teams that outside of well one team that's outside of facing them is, has been really good against the run in their other game too so it's it could yeah. be more match base also garrett bradbury hasn't played 
or has been hurt. Christian Darisaw comes out of that game. Like it's just, it's been just a really not just outside of Alexander Madison's own, own inefficiency that he's had for multiple seasons, but also the environments uh, for running the football through their offensive line and opponents has not been conducive for them to really run the football either. I do think there might be some more opportunity here. The Chargers have opened against the run better than they have in years past, but they did just sell. They played more uh, downhill last week. You know, obviously playing the Titans, you're going to. So I think think they're going to play a lot more coverage in this game uh, against Kirk Cousins. So there will be opportunity here. Madison's a guy that people will will factor in everything and really not get to. Uh, so I yeah. do think there will be more opportunity here for Alexander Madison in this game. Will it be enough for him to make my player pool? It's questionable, but I do de- generally believe that the the way Brandon says is going to approach attacking this and the way that the, the Vikings are going to approach things are going to be to try to run the football more than they have in recent games. Yeah, and obviously Cam Akers is now here, but he was a Wednesday trade, so it's highly unlikely that he sees any meaningful snap rate here. Um, so an interesting angle from this game, again, in the highest game total of the week. Real quick, Jeff, yes, uh, I spent 10 years flying F-18s for the Navy, uh, now a reservist, so I get to talk about football for for now. <laughs> so, uh, all right, man, so we talked about the ad nauseum. We broke down the kind of top game environment in the week. Sorry that took so long, guys, but I, again, I thought that was warranted on this slate because it is far and away the top game environment. I think there's oh, some yeah. interesting ways you can attack it. Um, I think when we start looking at other game environments, the first one that jumps out to me from a low spread perspective and a moderate game total perspective is the Atlanta Falcons and the Detroit Lions. Um, are you have you been circling this game as, as one to attack this week? Well, potentially, yeah, this one, I think from a more of the pieces stance than maybe like a full game onslaught. But I do think it's interesting from a lot of player perspective in this game. Uh, you know, we have the Ly- Lions got really beat up last week. Obviously, we have Amon Ra's going to play, but he's going to play with, uh, I think, a plate in his shoe. He's got maybe a potential turf toe. They haven't officially called it turf toe, but it sounds yeah. like he has turf toe. Uh, they also defensively lost their best pass rusher in James Houston uh, for multiple weeks. And they lost CJ Gardner Johnson probably for the season. Uh, yeah. So the Lions, and they lost David Montgomery. Sorry, sorry about that. To bury the lead because we're going to get the Jabir Gibbs. Like they got beat up last week, though, and so we've got a lot of moving pieces for them on both sides of the ball. Uh, and this was a defense that definitely kind of revealed more cards to us in week two, kind of what we thought. Like because week one, we're like, well, how much was like Travis Kelsey being out? Was it like a real true change for the Lions defense? Yeah. Um, and we kind of saw in week two more of like what we saw at the end last season. They're not like a horrible defense like they were to start the 2022 season, but they're still vulnerable in multiple areas, especially when you remove like assets like James Houston and CJ Gardner Johnson uh, from the equation. So we've got like really cheap pieces here on the Atlanta side to attack this defense outside of Bijan, who, man, Bijan, the way he moves. Ooh, Ooh doggy. That yeah, man is butter, dude. <laughs> yeah, man. It's crazy. He, he, he but then we've got Drake London at 5K uh in this game on DraftKings. And we saw the Lions immediately they, the first drive of the game, they call a wide receiver screen to Drake London after he has the zero, right? The zero in week one. Yeah. So like they're conscious, right? Like it's gonna we're gonna get him involved this week. And where the Lions have been vulnerable both games is outside on the perimeter. It didn't re- tr- truly reveal itself in week one uh, against the Chiefs, but they have been vulnerable on the outside. And then we have this real wild card this week where Kyle Pitts is – like DraftKings is like, well, we're going to make him the cheapest he's ever been in his career to see we if anyone will play him. You. We dare you. <laughs> we dare you guys to play him. And I, I've played a lot of really bad tight ends on DraftKings that are under 4K, and they weren't as, they weren't as good as individual football players as Kyle Pitts. So – do we go down that road? But I think that's where you start is just the, the Lions have all these injury components in play on both sides of the football. Yeah. And I think the starting point for me from my interest level in this game, and you mentioned a lot of the, the Atlanta pass catchers, but my interest starts with both running backs. Um, and I posted a video on Twitter this week about Jameer Gibbs and examining what kind of went into the reason that Craig Reynolds was probably seeing snaps in week two after David Montgomery went down. And if you think about it from a coaching perspective, if you're in Dan Campbell's shoes and your one a goes down, you have a rookie running back in his second NFL game that you probably, excuse me, you probably have not practiced him taking the 60, 65% between the tackles role up to this point. 
you already told everyone and their grandmother that you wanted to bring Jameer Gibbs along slowly. And his snap rate increased from 27% to 48% in week two. And I don't think that was solely due to the fact that David Montgomery went out in that game. That was by design. In that design was not to throw a rookie running back in his second NFL game into the fray if your 1A got hurt. It's like, well, yeah, it makes sense that Craig Reynolds saw some run. They're not going to do that to Jameer Gibbs. Like, come here, come here, son. I know we haven't practiced this. Just go out there and do that football stuff. Just go play football. No, <laughs> NFL, NFL teams don't work like that. So now with a full week of preparation where they can kind of groom Jameer Gibbs to take on a little bit more of that rushing share between the tackle stuff, the dirty, the gritty, I think we might see a back that sees 60 to 65% snap rate mm -hmm. that gets 12 to 15 carries. He saw nine targets last week. We now have a banged up Amon Ross St. Brown. They've got a rookie tight end. Like, yeah, there there's room for him to see 12 to 15 carries and seven to nine targets again. And against a Falcons defense that is better in the secondary than they are in the linebacking core, that could come together for a nice upside profile this week. And then taking that one step further, people don't like in today's current DFS landscape, they just don't like playing two backs from the same game. And you get now a two rookie backs in their third games, a, a guy that is just absolutely just looks like a knife through butter when he's running the football and Bajan Robinson. Some of those like some of those angles where it was like focused. And I think Warren tweeted out one of them um, where it was just like focused on the football. And you saw Bajan just absolutely shredding the green Bay Packers defense uh, from this past week. I was just sitting there just in awe watching this man run the football. And it is insane. And you compare that to a Detroit defense who has more or less suppressed from a top level perspective, suppressed running back, um, execution and and fantasy points up to this point but you look at their epa their bottom three in the league in epa allowed per rush um and this is a team that can be exploited on the ground dating back to three seasons ago when dan or two seasons ago when dan campbell came to the scene so that's an interesting perspective we know that both of these backs also have pass catching chops so the pairing kind of minimizes the risks of game environment it's like we don't care who jumps out to a lead because the other one's going to see the targets then mm -hmm. um so super interesting pairing is to pair both of these guys um i myself i don't know if i'm going to make it to the other and, and at this point i think we can call every other pass catching option on the atlanta falcons a secondary option i don't know if i'm going to make it to those secondary options that is bold my friend um mm -hmm. but i get it uh but that's kind of where my interest is at in, at this point um what about you talked about the the pass catching options for the falcons what about the lions are you seeing anything there to attack this week yeah i think when you look at the lines and the thing with the, 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 the double back on the gibbs stuff is he doesn't have to get like 80 to, to 90 percent of the workload right like you know yeah. i think that's what everyone is kind of like tearing down this week is we should expect craig reynolds to to have like an involvement especially in pass protection uh, in some of those short yardage situations, but Jameer Gibbs had nine targets in a game. He played 48 and a half percent of the snaps. Like if we get him close to 60% of the snaps, like that's a huge potential at his salary, especially on a site like DraftKings, that's full point PPR. Uh, if he's going to push double digit targets, uh, you know, you factor in Amon Ross St. Brown potentially being banked up. Josh Reynolds also banged up uh, coming into this game, kind of the standout from last week. Yeah. Um, he's obviously a cheap option. People will probably go back to, uh, I mean, it, it hasn't fully run out and hit for us yet, but I mean, Sam Laporta still stands out, especially in this matchup um, where he's priced on both sites. Uh, he's still getting the the kind of usage we kind of look for. He went from a 74% route participation rate in week one up to 82% last week. He went up to, you know, 15.6% of the team targets up to 17.6. Uh, those are tight end one numbers both weeks. 
Um, he, he showed a little bit of that tackle breaking ability after the catch last week. And then, you know, we have an Atlanta team that's, like you said, not the strongest at, in the linebacking unit. They've already allowed tight ends to catch 10 of 13 targets. Not major yardage, but, you know, you factor in, you know, Hayden Hurst week one. Luke Musgrave didn't have like a huge run out. But uh, Laporta is still a guy, I think, when you're talking about attacking this game and factoring all their injuries, maybe signaling more target upside for him, too. He's definitely a guy that that stands out still. I like that call on Laporta a good bit. I'm going to throw it over to you now. I want to hear a game environment that let's uh, that we should talk about here. Yeah, uh, I want to talk about Bill's Commanders uh, for sure. Beautiful. Uh, um, this is the game I think has a lot of layers to it. One from the game theory stance of we have the Bills on the main slate and they're probably no nobody cares. It, like tra- they're tracking for like yeah. not very many people care. Which is crazy because you all you have a team you have a team that weekly we know can inherently score thirty points right. Um, yeah. Then we've got all these moving parts with the Bills. You know we're, we're doing this Friday. It's twelve thirty five right now. We haven't seen the practice reports. If Dawson Knox misses this game, there are so many components to this where I think people are going to easily just get to Dalton Kincaid. But there, this is going to change everything the Bills have done through two games. Uh, the Bills have used 12 personnel, a league high 50% of their snaps. They've used it on a league high 44% of their passing plays through two weeks. The next closest team is at 36.5%. Um, a lot of people will just say, well, all right, well, Dawson knocks out. Full run out for Dalton Cade. But also, Deontay Hardy is going to play way more than he's yep. than he's played through two weeks in that scenario. And that gives you another kind of cheap flyer. Also, if this game's going to get there, right? If this game's going to get there, it's going to get there through the Washington side. And it's going to get there through Sam Howell. If that's the way this game gets there. Um, not, we have Sam Howell now at three career starts, has massively outkicked his price point in DFS, all three games. Also, we have Eric Bieniemy. Eric Bieniemy, who's he familiar with? Who has he worked with you know, over his career? You know, he, he, He's familiar with Leslie Frazier. He's familiar with Sean McDermott. Like, there's there's some upside here in the Washington offense that maybe is not being counted for because obviously we respect the Bills defense. We do. Then they're better than the Denver defense that Washington just you know shredded after falling falling uh, down. But what if Sam yeah. Howell and Eric Bieniemy are more capable than Zach Wilson was in Week One, more capable than Jimmy Garoppolo was in Week Two, and we get more pushback with the Bills? Um, so I think this game, there's definitely an avenue where this game lets down, but oh well, you know, we stack it, we move on to week three, but uh, or week four. But like there's a, a component here where I'm looking at like all the upside for this game and then looking at kind of where the projected ownership falls at every outside of everyone but Dalton Kincaid. And there is a lot of juice here. Yeah, 100%. And there's an interesting component to that as well. When you talk about the interaction between Eric Bieniemy and Ron Rivera. And there was a lot of questions this offseason about how these like two competing um, philosophical stances as far as approaching a football game were going to mesh. And JM actually made an observation like five days before the NFL season kicked off. And it was after Ron Rivera made the statement that like, oh yeah, I would have started Sam Howell way earlier if I knew how good he was. And we were all just like, what? You're the head coach of the football team. What do you mean? But that kind of highlighted how Ron Rivera approaches running this football team. And he does not have his hand in the offense very much. So when you look at Ron Rivera, who wants to kind of grind games out, keep keep it close, not lose it, and then win it in the fourth quarter, and that's like from a historical standpoint. And then you look at Eric Bieniemy, who he's this gunslinger. He wants to push. Um, he wants to push the ball. He wants to maximize every possession. He was so hard on his players um, in the preseason and in camp that like his players went to dad to tell on mom. Like they were like, yeah, Eric, we enemy. This dude is pretty intense, man. Uh, To Ron Rivera. So that to me tells a story of this football team. Their offense is run by Eric, the enemy. Ron Rivera has his kind of hands off and he's managing the game, but the offense is Eric Bieniemy's, And that is a massive boost to an offense that we know has talent. I mean, look at Brian Robinson. He looks like a rejuvenated back after, I mean, makes sense. He played uh, 2022 season after being shot in the thigh. We have Curtis Samuel, who is this veteran kind of gadgety type slot man. We have Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson. Jahan Dotson just continues to score touchdowns. Um, he is 
a very, very good route runner, and he is very, very good at diagnosing a defense. So he's able to find those gaps in zone coverage. Um, so they've got talent that they have built around this team. And now Sam Howell plus Eric Bieniemy, there is that upside that you're talking about. So yeah, this is a, a very interesting game, I think. And I don't think that it is going to get the respect or the um, interest from the field that I think it should. Um, what about the Bills? What what kind of angles are you attacking on their side of the ball? Yeah, like I said, I mean, obviously we know what we could always do with Josh Allen and Diggs. Uh, this wouldn't be like a huge sample to, to uh, signal for like uh, Gabe Davis like we had last week. I don't know if we, we challenged those demons two weeks in a row. But like I said, I would be looking towards Deontay Hardy if Dawson Knox is out in this game, especially when you're doing, talking about game stacks because, you know, we're going to see a lot of Tank Dell and Josh Downs be played at that price point this week. Um, and you're talking about from like an upside stance, he probably has more individual upside than both of those players. You know, those guys are more of like your traditional volume-based plays at their price points where Deontay Hardy could have the 60-yard touchdown, right? Um, so, I mean, he would be a guy, if, if we get no Dawson Knox, then you're talking about, he's not only leverage on Tank Dell and Josh Downs, he's going to be leverage on Dalton Kincaid, who would skyrocket in terms of ownership on this slate if Dawson Knox is out. Um, so he would be where I'm looking to outside of like, as my, like my ancillary core piece to add with, you know, your digs Allens. I like that. Any interest in the backfield at all? I mean, we've seen James cook, um, run the same snap rate in each of the first two weeks. We've seen him being taken off the field. Uh, once team enters yeah. the red zone, I mean, Latavius Murray and Damian Harris each have one rushing score and James cook does not. Um, but James Cook is that steady contributor between the 20s. He, you know, we can pencil him in or almost pen him in for four to six targets on a weekly basis. Any interest there? I mean, for, from like a DFS stealing stance, it's tough because he has to be so efficient, right? With the, with the way he's being utilized. And he he does have a little bit out on the floor with the, with the handful of targets. But we've now seen through two weeks that he has not gotten the goal line carries. And that he doesn't play in the two-minute offense. It's been Latavius Murray because they trust him in pass protection, um, which is two interesting components to his game. So you, yeah. it, so like he has to do what he did last week, right? Where like you get the like he had seven yards for carry last week. <laughs> like he's got to be really hyper efficient. And if he's not going to get like those two, if those situations get pulled from his game, and maybe he as the season goes, we see him get more of those opportunities. But as it is right now, those are fantasy ceiling limit limitations, like for, yeah. for capping some of his because we want those. We want our guy to not come out. We want when my team has to drop back in the two minute drill and throw. We want him in the game because that's how you get checkdowns, right? Teams are playing more zone coverage ever there. They're playing more uh, soft coverage. And then we want our guys to punch it in for the touchdown. So, yeah, it is. So as I as, Positive as everything's been for James Cook to open, those are two kind of mitigating factors from a DFS perspective. I think in season long, like you feel great about where you drafted James Cook, right? And what you're getting out of him. Uh, but from from a DFS perspective, when we're chasing ceiling, he does have a couple things that are kind of preventing him from fully, like fully, fully being like one of those guys that we think can match like some of the guys in his price range. Yeah, for sure. One of the things, and this is going to transition us to kind of the last thing that we're going to talk about here, but one of the things that we do at one week season for inner circle members on a weekly basis is we ask the question, what would we not be surprised on Monday to look back and be like, oh yeah, that made sense. Um, and I think some of those, aha, like, oh crap, we missed that this week could be in these two late game expected blowout games we have kansas city chiefs who are 12 and a half point favorites at home with a nice healthy game total of 48 points and we have the dallas cowboys who are now on the road in arizona with a not so healthy game total of 43 points but a massive 12 and a half point spread we have trevon diggs who is now out for the season we have brandon cooks who is looking to come back from injury these two games, could these two games be what we look back on on Monday and be like, oh, yeah, Patrick Mahomes scored four touchdowns. That makes sense. Or, oh, yeah, the Cardinals weren't as bad as we thought they were going to be. And they actually the Dallas offense had to do something this week. Are you getting that same feel from these two spots? 
I, I think even from the Dallas perspective, it, even if Arizona doesn't do anything, I mean, they did. Dak Prescott threw 38 passes last week in a game that they were in no threat of ever losing. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, I still feel pretty positive that they're going to be an aggressive offense this season. Remember in week one, they scored two defensive touchdowns. Uh, yeah. So like that pulled that pulled away. And it, it granted Dallas is capable of scoring a defensive touchdown. We're not going to bank on those, though, you know, every week. So I think even if Arizona doesn't punch back, like we still have a situation where the Cowboys side. I mean, you look at Tony Pollard's workload through through two weeks and the opportunities getting like we've got confirmation of everything we hoped and dreamed he would have when Ezekiel left yeah. the team, right? And I feel like on a slate where Christian McCaffrey's already played and isn't on the slate, Tony Pollard, like he would stand out in any other week where he should be like a 25% owned back, right? Uh, given the context of what's available at running back for us this week. And he's not going to be. And he's a 12-point favorite, uh, you know, indoors. He can catch the football. It feels like he's being overlooked. And that could be part of, too, as the, the meta game for the slate is people want to pay for Justin Jefferson. They want to pay for Tyree Kill. But I think all things considered, when you factor in the landscape of what's available for us to pay at running back for, uh, his opportunity, the game environment. The only thing that could be better if this game was in Dallas instead of Arizona but like, I feel like on on a regular slate, like this is a screaming signal for a guy that should probably have twenty five percent plus ownership, and he probably is not even he'll probably he'll probably won't even have twenty percent. Yeah, especially with um, like you said, the the true elites are mostly not on this slate. I mean, we do have Bajan, we have Tony Pollard, but it's like who else? Chris Austin Eckler isn't going to be uh, on this slate. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting from a pricing psychology standpoint, I keep like throwing out these weird terms, yeah. um, but game theory is heavily rooted in the interaction of people, which is, has to do with the human brain and how we think about and how we react in certain situations and pricing psychology is one of those aspects that kind of comes into play here from the sense of we have two top tier wide receivers who we know that the field is going to be glomming off on. We know there's going to be interest there. You can't really fit in one of these high-priced running backs um, with one or two of, of Tyree Kill and Justin Jefferson So, um, because everyone's working with the same salary cap. So from a pricing psychology standpoint, yeah, I don't expect. And then throw in the, the game environment where we expect and throw in what we've seen from Dallas, the fact that they haven't really needed necessarily to show their full hand um, from an offensive perspective this week or this season, it, there's a lot of interesting aspects that go into this game. And if you, I think Brandon cooks is probably the most important piece to this Dallas offense. And we, it goes back to CD lamb's rookie year when he had, was running next to Amari Cooper and they could utilize CD lamb in different ways when they had a viable one or two playing next to him. I mean, I mean, yes, like, these other ancillary pieces from Dallas, like they're, they're NFL talents, but I'm sorry, Jalen Tolbert and uh, Kevante Turpin and Jalen Brooks and even Michael Gallup are not the level of player that Brandon Cooks is. So when you get potential for Brandon Cooks to be back, and it doesn't even have to be that Brandon Cooks is commanding this massive target share, what he does for this offense and for Dak Prescott in particular I think is is notable. So when you get that kind of talent back on the field, it opens things up from an offensive standpoint. You're going to get more attention paid to Brandon Cooks as compared to some of those other names that we just mentioned. Um, so that's an interesting aspect, I think, too, that's going to go overlooked from this game environment is like what? Well, and also, let's let's consider the Arizona Cardinals real quick. Are the Arizona Cardinals... Um, like Zach Wilson or are the Arizona Cardinals going to be this like gunslinger mentality pushing the envelope? No, like they are a unit with Josh uh, Dobbs who is going to look to kind of just control the flow of the game. They're going to want to try and march the field. They're okay. Telling Josh Dobbs to go out and hit six yard slants and pick up six yards on first down while that kind of, I don't want to say limits the overall like composition of this game environment. It does like partly subdue the vaunted pass rush of the Dallas Cowboys because they're not going to be dropping down, looking to hit 20 yarders. They're going to be dropping down, looking to hit six yard screens and slants and kind of push the field. So 
that kind of reduces Dallas defense's ability to generate those pressure, to generate those mistakes, which could in turn kind of open up things for the Dallas offense. That was kind of a long roundabout way to say that like Dallas's offense might actually be called upon to do a little bit more in this spot than in weeks past. Um, so yeah, right. there's, there's the ability to throw up Dak Prescott with CD lamb with Tony Pollard. That is not going to, nobody's going to be doing that this week. Um, bring it back with a Marquise Brown. If you want, bring it back with a, uh, I don't know if I want to go to the tight ends in Arizona, but nah. they're seeing targets. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Zach Ertz is seeing targets. Um, also, he won't Jake kill Ertz you on DraftKings. Yeah, I mean, the dude is seeing massive targets. But also in that same discussion, Jake Ferguson, tight end, Dallas Cowboys, leads the league in red zone targets through two weeks with eight, eight of them, ladies and gentlemen. That's pretty crazy. Um, he is probably not going to garner any ownership this week. So lots of interesting components here. Anything else you see from this one before we move over to the Chiefs? Yeah, it's not just uh, Ferguson. Dak's already targeted tight end 60% of the time in the it's red insane. zone. You know, we saw Luke Schoonmaker had a touchdown last week. In week one, uh, Peyton Henderson dropped a dime from uh, Dak Prescott for a touchdown. Uh, he put it he put it on the ground. I mean, maybe it wasn't a Kellen Morton. Remember, people were trying to talk themselves into taking Gerald Everett because of how the tight ends were used in Dallas. It might be a Dak yeah. Prescott com- comfortable Dak thing. thing. Like what, yeah. What, what he's – where the routes he's comfortable throwing and like that area of the field because – especially in the red zone because where things get condensed and you see sometimes quarterbacks really struggle in that area of the field, like historically, like Derek Carr has historically just been bad in the red zone, like his whole career consistently, Daniel Jones, another guy. Uh, But Dak has a a certain comfort level, but uh, I've been really positive on like what I've seen from Dallas in general uh, on offense so far. I know some people were worried about, but with that game plan they had last week, the CD lamb game plan, what a chef's kiss uh, they had with him last week against the jets. He, he caught just one pass uh, on the right side of the field in Sauce Gardner's coverage. But, man, they, they were scheming him up away from Sauce Gardner the entire game. And it's because Sauce doesn't move, right? And they know that. And they devised an entire game plan to just cook with CeeDee Lamb. Their best player, rational coaching. We love to see it yeah. uh, when it wins out. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> I feel really good about what I've seen about the Cowboys. And, and I think that Dak probably has a higher scoring fantasy game than probably most think because what he's put out in the field so far through two games. But yeah. – um, especially given what Arizona has allowed to Sam Howell and to Daniel Jones, I think we'll see Dak have a really highly efficient uh, upside game. We could we could see a game where he throws three plus touchdowns in this game. Yeah, when we talk about onslaughts and the the ability to generate plus EV from onslaughts in today's current landscape of the league, like who's playing Dak with both Tony Pollard and CeeDee Lamb, or who's playing Dak with Tony Pollard and Jake Ferguson? Just saying that's where the touchdowns flow. Um, because we know CD lamb, like we know who he is. He's probably going to put up between seven and nine touchdowns, but that, that means that half of the games he's not scoring. Um, it's that kind of game theory angle of like, just what if the touchdowns, what if Dak throws four touchdowns, which is what he'll probably need to be a GPP viable quarterback here. What if he throws four touchdowns and Tony Pollard catches one of them and Jake Ferguson catches two of them. Like that, now we're into the realm of like, this is an upside GPP stack. Um, and it's just not going to be owned. So I think that was important to get out from this spot. Let's move over to Kansas City now. And when we're talking about the Chiefs, it's Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and then everybody else. And we're still seeing Andy Reid play around with that everybody else component. Um, we're seeing Marquez Valdez Scantling and Sky Moore be the players that are seeing the most snaps, but that's like 65 to 70%. That's not even like true ones and twos range because they're mixing in Kadarius, Tony, they're mixing in all these different guys. Um, when you're thinking about, and, and look at the implied Vegas team total of the chiefs. And it's like the top on the slate, like, Oh, that's shocking guys. We expect the chiefs to score some points. Um, against the Chicago Bears, the uh, color me shocked. <laughs> but that means that those points have to be scored somewhere, right? Those, and it's likely going to come through Patrick Mahomes because what do we have? We have Isaiah Pacheco who is banged up. We have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire who the team still does not trust in year four. Um, we have Jarek McKinnon who he's a 32-year-old running back, like he's just an old guy. So um, where where are those points expected to come from? It's like. Oh yeah, looking back, 
Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey each put up 30 points. That's uh, that color me shocked. Um, is this a spot that you see like has upside that is being overlooked this week? I mean, the Chiefs always, like you said, uh, have upside. They they haven't started the year off like immensely positive either. I know week one was like their their lowest success rate for us at offense uh, in a game for Patrick Mahomes for three years. They didn't get much better last week either. Uh, luckily, they didn't get much pushback from the Jaguars. Um, and the, the Chiefs, this Chiefs defense, going back to midway through last year. I mean, I always do I do a podcast did podcast with Dan Pizzuto last year. We consistently talk about when they got healthy with Legereus Sneed and they got McDuffie back. I feel like they were a really good defense. And I think we've seen through two weeks, both the Lions and Jaguars underperform against the Chiefs. That's something I'm definitely going to have my kind of fingerprints on. So moving forward, because, you know, it used to be, we think like every Chiefs game is going to be just this circus, right? This is, yeah. this is bonanza. And that, that really wasn't the case to end last year. Um, obviously we had a fun Super Bowl, but, and it hasn't started out this year either, where we've had where last, last week, every game and the main slate, uh, at one o'clock went over the game total except for the Chiefs game. Yeah. Uh, and it was the highest implied game total of slate. The, what we're seeing from the the Chiefs is we saw a little more condensed route three from the a route usage from the wide receivers in week two from week one. And it looks like we might not get Kadarius Tony in this game. So it might get condensed even further. Last week it was really Marcus Valdez healing Sky Moore. Justin Watson as the primary guys. And then Tony was doing, he only ran 15 pass routes, but when Tony's on the field, he gets opportunities. Like that's been a constant yeah. going back to his rookie year. Uh, and the chiefs continue to do that too. But if he doesn't play, then we probably will see a lot of, you know, Marcus Valdez scaling sky more Justin Watson again. And then you maybe get Rishi rice peppered in there. He's still more being utilized as more of a slow burn, probably more than people want to be utilized, which kind of just makes for saying like, well, Travis Kelsey came in last week. He only ran a route on 58% of the dropbacks and he led the team still at nine targets. Yeah. So if that we figure that's going to continue to go up, you know, remove it further. We get away from his knee injury, more increased usage. Like we're looking at a situation probably where as the front of last year where Travis Kelsey is literally going to probably be this doing a lot of lifting. Right. And we talked about kind of from a game theory stance, people are going, people want to pay for Justin Jefferson. People want to pay for Tyree kill. People maybe will try to say, like, I want to pay for even Tony Pollard or, or B. John Robinson. But you know what? The, that's not going to get them to paying for a tight end uh, yeah. for sure. And so that's what that, that on this particular slate is definitely one of the inflection points where Travis Kelsey, we know in a full PPR setting, has kind of the ability, especially because the touchdown equity he, he holds in his offense to be a guy that can get there. Cause that's the, that's the one drawback with Justin Jefferson, right? And the, he doesn't have very many drawbacks, but like through his NFL career, like he has had a lot of games where you're getting like the nine for one sixty, but no touchdowns. Uh, whereas Travis Kelsey, you know, you have that multi touchdown upside. So if, if yeah. you have a game where even the, the field pays for Justin Jefferson and it's, and he has that game, right? He has 10 catches for one fifty, but no touchdowns. And he's got you, you know, he did get you the, the 25 to 28 points and the bonus stuff. Like Kelsey can still compete with that uh, through touchdown production. Yeah. And you, you talk about, you, you brought up some really sharp points about the game theory aspects of this spot, about primarily revolving around Travis Kelsey. But when you look at like the rate at which Travis Kelsey hit, and then you, you apply a binary outcome, did Patrick Mahomes also hit. And we say hit as in like provide a GPP um, worthy score at his salary. And the correlation between if Travis Kelsey hits and then the, ask the question of did Patrick Mahomes also hit is extreme. So if you're playing Travis Kelsey, pair him with Patrick Mahomes. You're immediately differentiated. You're playing the top quarterback in the league. You're playing the top tight end in the league. And now you can go mix and match and, and have some fun from there. But if Patrick Mahomes is, again, quote unquote, hitting, then he is probably throwing four touchdowns or he's probably accounting for four touchdowns. He might run yeah. one in. He might, uh, but he's going to need at his cost. He's going to need four touchdowns, right? And he's probably going to need to surpass 300 passing yards as well. So when you talk about a tight end like Travis Kelsey, who, if he is again, quote unquote, hitting, he is putting up what eight catches plus for 100 yards plus and two scores at his salary. All of that directly ties to his quarterback. But where is the other production coming from? Is the interesting piece because if Patrick Mahomes is throwing four touchdowns. 
Travis Kelsey, while he could, <laughs> he's done it in the past, caught three or four of them. Um, it's not going to happen all the time. Where are those coming from? Last season, we saw Jarek McKinnon kind of come into this Eric Bieniemy gadget type player. We haven't necessarily seen that usage yet. And you look at his snap rates on the screen, 31% um, is not anything to necessarily write home about. And he's been fairly consistent in that he role. He feels like an end, like they're saving him. Like they're. Yeah. But yeah. also, <laughs> you talk about how Kadarius Tony is being used in this offense. He is being used how Nicole Hardman was being used last year. Right. When he was on the field, he was that gadget type player. He was seeing those schemed, those design touches. All the what, jet motion stuff. Yeah. What happened when Nicole Hardman got injured last year? Jarek McKinnon stepped into that now like schemed type usage. What is going to happen this week? Kadarius Tony might be out. So that is something that the field is not going to be playing. This Patrick Mahomes, Jarek McKinnon, Travis Kelsey stack. I think there's extreme upside there. Um, and with this offense, just in general, that the field is just going to be overlooking and probably on Monday morning thinking, oh, yeah, it's Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. The last thing I'll mention with that spot is down here with Travis Kelsey's snap rate. Obviously, you just brought up the um, the route participation down in the high 50s. But you look at his snap rate, 64 percent. Travis Kelsey is normally in the 90 percent plus range in his second week back from injury. I expect that to be closer to that standard 90% plus range. Um, and again, just a spot. I think the field is going to be overlooking here. Any final shots there about, uh, and that we'll, we'll throw it to the other side of that game. Any interest in um, what just Justin Fields, all the drama that's been going around in Chicago this week, <laughs> any interest in any aspect of it feels bad, it. right? It, it, yeah. It's not just the, it's the, it's the everything with the bears, right? You have the defensive coordinator. Uh, we're, we're two weeks into the season or two yeah. weeks into the season. And, you know, you got the coordinator, you know, wants to, is, is stepping away for, 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 uh, you know, legal stuff. We've got Justin Fields having to walk back on maybe some commentary with the coaches. We have the sound clip of DJ Moore and Devin White, like kind of talking about like how this offense is utilizing him right. We have their left tackle being placed in injured reserve. Their left guards away from the team right now uh, for personal reasons. It's it's not going well <laughs> for the Bears. Not, not great, Bob. Not great. <laughs> um, and like I said, you go back to this Chiefs defense going back to last year. Like any like like. Like they've been eating up opposing quarterbacks. Their last 12 games played, they've had 15 passing touchdowns going back to last year. Not a lot of upside. We are not seeing utilization that we want to see for Justin Fields. Um, it's it's rough, man. It's rough. I don't, I think it's really just, it's hard to objectively get there out of some like just blind faith stuff. Yeah. So if that's the case, <laughs> and we have this Kansas City team that, has not performed up to what we expect them to do so far this season. They they lost uh, in the opening night. They scored 20 points. And then what did they score last week? Like 17? Yep, 17. 17? Yeah, they beat the Jags 17 to 9. So this has not been the Kansas City Chiefs that we have learned to know and love. And a lot of people might be kind of hesitant to go here because Eric biennemi has gone and they've struggled over the first two weeks. Yes, Eric Bieniemy is one of the top offensive minds in the league, but I think a lot of that had to do with coaching under Andy Reid. Like those tendencies did not just leave with Eric Bieniemy, And so there's just a lot of upside here, I think, from the Kansas City Chiefs. I think you can go Chiefs um, overstack. You can go Chiefs onslaught, and you don't necessarily need to bring it back, so to say. Uh, no, so yeah. I mean, just I think just Mahomes Kelsey is a very simple way to get unique in the slate, which is really weird to say out loud. Yeah, and it, it feels <laughs> like at least once or twice a year we just get these games where people look back and they're like, "Oh yeah, I forgot about Patrick Mahomes, dude." <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> well, yeah, like it's Patrick Mahomes, but the the state of the slate is not leading people to Patrick Mahomes for whatever reason, and that's exactly what we have this week. Um, Parting shots, man. We've gone a little bit over, but that was a really fun episode. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's uh, it's it's well. Uh, I think it's uh, we're just looking. You know, two weeks in, we're looking for a lot more cards to be revealed. Uh, you know, some things haven't come to fruition, whether it be based on opponent, small sample. Uh, so I'm looking for just kind of some things this week. You know, we didn't even talk about like the Browns passing game this week, but like yeah. this is this is a spot where I think that 
the Browns passing game has everything set up to show us something. So let's see something. Uh, yeah. I think that also holds true for the Steelers who are not on the main slate, but I think that holds true for them, a team that's faced the 49ers and, and Browns. But, the, you know, you have the Raiders lined up for you. Like, make so, this is the time now to show us something. So we're looking for kind of some of those things. The Jaguars, we didn't talk about them. They're in a, a spot where I think it's time for them to show us something. Like, right? Derek uh, out, yep. Yep, it's, it, it's all set up for you, for these teams that have really kind of come out of the blocks not great, but it's time to... Uh, see something from those uh, those offenses. Yes, sir. As always, Mr. Rich Rebar, not Rybar. Uh, <laughs> it was a pleasure. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, you can go check out Rich. You know where to find him. His Twitter handle is on the screen. Um, all of his stuff is housed at Shark Football Analysis. You can find me on Twitter on the screen and over at OneWeekSeason.com. And until next week, fam, we'll see you in the draft lobbies and we'll see you at the top of the leaderboards. Peace. One week season.